What's up, guys? This is Mike. This is Dave, and you're listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. What's going on, everybody? This is Mike, and welcome to episode 52 of the Mike and Dave Podcast. Hey, hey, everybody. This is Dave, and I've got to say that I am very excited for this episode, although I am a little nervous because I'm sure we are going to ruffle some feathers uh, since we're going to be picking our or who we think should win each of the NBA's regular season awards, excluding the Sportsmanship Award, because, you know, who cares about that? Uh, and Certainly we're, not us. Exactly. And we're also going to be picking our top three teams who we think have the best chance of, of winning the finals this year, as well as a sleeper. So I'm sure, you know, this is the time of year where everybody has a lot of opinions. Uh, the Lakers made the playoffs officially. So, you know, that accounts for at least 50% of all of those opinionated fans. Um, but yeah, definitely excited for this episode and um, also for this off the top. Yeah. So, it's no secret that we're Hawks fans here on the Mike and Dave podcast. It's no secret that the Hawks have been, uh, let's say, mediocre. Uh, they've been, like, statistically the most meh you can be. You know, like, there are so many stats to it. They're, like, 27 and 14 at home and 14 and 27 on the road. They're, they, they, like shoot one percentage point less than their opponents. And they, um, they've net, they haven't been more than like a game above or below 500 for like 30 straight games or something stupid like that. Um, we have been talking about trading some players for a while now on the Mike and Dave podcast and very recently. And it's, uh, it's Wednesday the 12th when we're recording this, so we have just beaten the Heat to get into that seven seed for the playoffs. Well, right before that game, like the day before, some news broke from the, or some rumors broke from the front office saying that anyone was going to be available. Uh, they had the green light to move anybody this summer, and that included Trey Young. Of course, they like tried to smooth that over, like, we didn't mean you, please play well tonight. And Well, he did. Uh, but that got me thinking like the summer is coming up. We're probably not going to win the championship this year. Yeah. Somebody's got to go. And I just kind of want to give a little bit of context here, but then I want to give you sort of free reign on where you take this. But Trey young is set to make 40 ish million. You know, uh, here are some teams that are going to have a bunch of cap room just for your information this summer. The Rockets, the Spurs, the Jazz, the Thunder, the Pistons, the Pacers, the Magic. All of those teams could very easily just afford Trey Young's contract without even having to give up any like pricey asset. Then you start getting into like the Nuggets, or sorry, not the Nuggets, the Hornets, the Kings, the Blazers. They could move a somewhat pricey piece, but then take on that big salary. Um, I guess... The first part of that then is like, do any of these teams have anything that interests you as a return for Trey Young? And then I guess the follow-up would be, if we're not moving Trey Young, what do you expect to get out of like a John Collins or a Bogdanovich or anyone else that you want to move? Okay. 
So I'm just trying to rule out all of the teams that don't need a point guard. So Pistons would probably be out because they just drafted Jaden Ivey. Uh, Thunder would be out as well. They don't need one. The Pacers don't need one. Um, I'm thinking like the Jazz potentially could be interesting. Um, though at this point, like they'd probably want to include like one of these veterans that they still have hanging around. Uh, they don't fit the timeline, but I don't know. So you're asking kind of like who I would want to trade with and who I would want to trade. Yes. Oh man. Um, who are you on the phone with? If you're the Hawks GM, I mean, He's the on thun- speed dial. I mean, the thunder have a freaking lot of picks and young players. Um, although it seems to me like they wouldn't really be super interested in dealing any of those unless it was for the right player. I don't necessarily think Trey would be the guy that they would utilize all these assets for. The Jazz certainly have a lot of assets now that they would be willing to use. So honestly, I would be calling the Jazz and seeing what they would give up for Trey. But And I I think that I heard that they were interested in John Collins as well. So maybe that could happen too, or instead of Trey. Um, The only issue is, I mean... The Jazz just fleeced the Timberwolves to an unfathomable degree. And Danny Inch has been doing this his whole career. So I almost don't really, I don't trust, as much as I love Cal (laughs) Corver, like, I don't trust him or Landry Fields or any of these guys, like, I don't I don't necessarily think we can go toe to toe with Danny Ange and come out on top at this point. So maybe not the Jets, now that I think about it. Um, he also just like totally won the Donovan Mitchell trade, it seems like all the well, assets he I mean Donovan Mitchell's balling, but like the assets that he got back and then Laurie Markinen has the year that he's having. That's true. I mean I think that's more of a win win though. Um mm-hmm. because the Cavaliers have had a really, really good season. Donovan Mitchell scored like scored 40 points like four games in a row or something like that. He's been that's, extremely that's good. His also his defensive uh motivation, I guess I could call <laughs> it, has been greatly increased since he's gone to the Cavs. Like I think that the Cavs are not regretting that trade at all. But I think yeah, you still make a good point that Danny Inch stays winning these trades. Um so I honestly I don't know. I I would not be opposed to moving Trey at this point. I think that, especially now that we have DeJounte, who is a very different player than Trey, but now that we have DeJounte, like, who would I rather keep long-term? It's probably him um, instead of Trey, but it's just, it's kind of hard because... Honestly, I want to trade DeAndre Hunter. <laughs> like, we're paying him way too much money and Collins, to be honest with you. Although, I, I mean, I like Collins, but DeAndre Hunter is the, like, that contract that we gave him. I don't remember how, I think it's like 18 million or 20 million a year or something. Whatever it is, it's way too much. 
for a guy who's just meh. Like, <laughs> he's not a difference maker. He's not a go-to option. Like, he's all right on defense. Like, Jaden McDaniels is probably a better defender than him. And what is Jaden McDaniels getting paid? Like, and there are other guys like that, too, that I can, you know, that are around the league. They're like, okay, I would rather have him than than Hunter. So I think we've just kind of given too much money to too many players. Um, it's hard to say who we should keep and who we shouldn't. I mean, I think Capella, as much as I like him, probably needs to go and we keep Okongwu. Everything that I've seen from Okongwu this year, I've really liked. I mean, he just balled out in that playoff game for us. Of course, or the play-in game, I should say. Capella did as well, but Capella's the one who's making a lot more money. So, I don't know. Um, I It's a star-driven league. It's actually, I'll, I'll even say this, it's a superstar-driven league. And I don't know if I can call Trey a superstar because of the defensive limitations and also the shooting woes. The playmaking, if we're talking about like elite skills across the league, I would say Trey is the best playmaker in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that's outlandish to say at all. But the issue is pretty much in every other area except for my free throw shooting. Um, but like defense, he's one of the worst defenders in the NBA shooting. He's just a volume scorer at this point. Like he's, he's getting a lot of his points at the free throw line. Uh, his three point percentage has dropped off massively and his two point percentage has as well. And you also talk about off the court stuff and leadership and all of those intangibles. Like, he just isn't that kind of guy. You know, we, this is going to sound terrible, but I'm just going to say it anyway. You know, we talk about Devin Booker and we don't think that Devin Booker can be the best player on a championship winning team. I honestly feel that way about Trey. I really do. Uh, I feel that way about everybody on the Hawks roster. So for me, I'm like, if we could somehow flip Trey and Collins or Trey and Hunter or like something like that and get somebody better than Trey, then maybe I'm, I'm starting to listen. Um, actually I'm not starting to listen. I'm like, yes, let's do that. Um, but those guys are just so hard to get like Durant and Kyrie coming available in the same season is unheard of pretty much. So you never know, um, but I, I don't think I've really answered your question, but <laughs> it's also, that's a very broad thing. Let's just say this. I don't think that the Hawks, as currently constructed, can reach the Eastern Conference Finals like they did a couple years ago. I think change needs to happen, and I'm not really... Uh, I'll say this. I don't think that I'm particularly uh, fond enough of anybody except for Murray and Kongwu at this point. I think that I think everybody else I would not maybe I'd be a little sad here or there, but like I wouldn't mind trading, to be honest. Um but I'm not really super interested in building through the draft like we've, we have Trey like he's a really good player even if with all the 
drawbacks that I mentioned before, I would want to trade him to try to get somebody better, him and whatever assets we have remaining, which we already spent a lot in the DeJounte Murray trade, but still. Yeah, it just seems that we're in a tough position because like the odds of Trey Young being the guy that leads the Hawks to a championship are really, really low. And the market for him is probably not going to be super appealing for us. Just in the sense of like the teams that I mentioned that had that cap space don't really have assets that we want or you're the jazz and we don't want to like call Danny Ainge and just have him like screw us over. Um, the teams that would, like, I guess also, none of those teams really, I don't know, that Trey fits what they'd need. The teams that would think that Trey Young would push them over whatever hump they're at probably don't have anything that interests us or the cap room to make it happen. It's an it's a interestingly difficult position to be in. Whereas, like, moving, I don't know, John Collins is much more realistic. Even though, like, I mean, we've said this before, there are trade rumors around John Collins every single year and he never ends up being moved. I don't know what's going on in these front offices where they're like, this about him is like a no or whatever. But I don't know. We are just a few months away from NBA summer, though, so I guess we'll find out. And as we saw last summer, anything can happen. Even like yeah. during this season, like who would have thought at the beginning of the year that Kyrie would be in Dallas with Luca and KD would be in Phoenix. Like it's just crazy, but that's, that's one of the great things about the NBA. You never know what's going to happen. So who knows? Maybe the Hawks could, could do something, but as it's currently constructed, I'm just happy when the play in game, like yeah. we had our one moment there. And now we're probably going to get stomped by the Celtics, but it's fine. That's okay. Just don't get um, swept. Please, please don't get swept. Good Lord. Uh, so many of the comments on like the Instagram posts that were made after the Hawks win were like Celtics in four. And I'm like, can you all shut up? <laughs> Just let us enjoy this, please. Yeah, like go crawl back into a little hole, you know, whatever. Or even like, maybe you're right. But do you have to comment that after our, like, just let us appreciate our win. And then once we start playing, you start throwing shade. Like, come on. Like normal people. But whatever. Okay. So those are, or that's what we're looking at going into the summer then. As, as Hawks fans, that is like, you know, who gets moved? What can we get? Et cetera. Do we even make a move? Like how many times have we, kind of built that up in our heads like oh yeah we have all these tradable assets and you know we can do xyz and then we just show up in october with the same roster plus a rookie just whatever but okay i think that'll just about wrap up off the top but we're going to jump right in and talk about our regular season awards we've got the big six that people care about. So not the sportsmanship one, like you said, nobody cares about sportsmanship. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and kick it off with the one that I'm the most passionate about. 
just taking the lead here. Coach of the year. If the coach of the year is not Mike Brown, then I don't want the coach of the year to ever be awarded again. Uh, you end this the Kings 16 year playoff drought in your first season there, and you do it by getting them to the three seed. Uh, when they made the playoffs 16 years ago, that was also the last time the Kings won 40 plus games. They win 48 this year. And just for what it's worth, when we did our top 25 players in the NBA in the last episode, when we updated that list, we had De'Aaron Fox and Demonis Sabonis just kind of like making the cut, like 22, 23, I think. Um, So he's doing that without, according to the Mike and Dave podcast, a top 20 player. He just jumps up uh, number three seed, wins the Pacific division over the Lakers, the Clippers, and the Warriors. Like, and the Suns. Eh. Uh, That's coach of the year to me. I Like, we know that um, that the Bucks are going to do well, but they also have Giannis. You know, we know that the Nuggets are going to do well. They have Jokic. When you get to the Kings and you're like, oh yeah, the three seed led by Fox and Sabonis. Sure. Plus the ending of the playoff drought. To me, it's Mike Brown. I also have Mike Brown as my coach of the year as well for everything that you just said, of course. Uh, he came in He's always been a defensive guy. So, of course, his team leads the league in offense. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what what I will say is that I think he, he did get the Kings competing a bit more on defense. They were definitely better this year than they've been in years past. Years past, they've been like bottom two or three in the league. This year, they were more like bottoms eight or so. Um, so... Still not great, but definitely an improvement. And their offense just carried them to a lot of victories. Uh, He also, I think, gave them an identity for the first time in a long time. I think the Kings have existed for pretty much as long as I've been following basketball in just a state of, like, disarray. Just, like, they don't know what they're doing. They're going to draft a whole bunch of bigs. And then they're going to draft a whole bunch of guards and then they're not going to play some of them and they are going to play some of them and they don't really work. And it was just really confusing. I will say that the Tyrese Halliburton, DeMontis Sabonis trade, I know we've talked about it a lot, but really that that's, was a major catalyst for this team. Uh, so shout out to their front office for doing that even before Mike Brown came in for giving him that nucleus, that pick and roll partnership that's worked so well, but he's still come in and given them an identity uh, and, and, you know, got them to practice a lot. Uh, They practice more than anybody else in the NBA this season. And why not? They're young, Um, except for like Harrison Barnes. They're all pretty (laughs) young. Um, And they've just been the, in my opinion, the story of the season. Uh, especially if you're into the whole underdog thing, which I definitely am. Um, and like the, you know, narrative side of things, then they definitely are. So I agree with you 100%. Mike Brown should win coach of the year. It's good to hear agreement there. I don't, frankly, like, I don't know who else it would be, you know, like that there are coaches that have had good seasons, but 
nothing to overtake Mike Brown. This should be like uh, open and shut. Yeah, I think so. I I still want to give a little bit of a shout out to a couple other coaches though. Will Hardy with the Jazz. I mean, we were literally, I, I haven't looked at our tier list, our preseason tier list. I'm pretty sure we put the Jazz like at the bottom or close to the bottom um, because they had just traded, you know, pretty much all of their good players. Their roster had complete turnover. This guy is, it's his first year coaching, like first year as a head coach in the league. And yet somehow he gets the jazz to play competitively and their, their start, it looked like they were going to be a, you know, a top four seed in the West. So I, we have to give him some credit. Um, Joe Missoula for the Celtics. I mean, nobody was expecting Ime Udoka to be suspended for the, the entire season and for him to have to step in. Um, and yet the Celtics were arguably the best team in the NBA this year in the regular season. And he was able to navigate all of that turmoil and keep them focused. So I think some credit has to be given there too. So I would say those two. And then maybe also the Thunder. Um, Mark Dano, I think is how you pronounce his name. Um, I mean, the Thunder also, especially when Holmgren went down, nobody was expecting anything out of him. And now tonight they're going to be playing for a chance to make the playoffs, uh, which we were not expecting. Also, Shea Gilch's Alexander blossoming under him. Jalen Williams having a breakout rookie season. Even guys like Isaiah Joe coming from relative obscurity to being a real weapon off the bench. Like you have to give a lot of credit to, to him for orchestrating that turnaround. But coach of the year is always a, a hard award to give because there are some coaches who are just doing an amazing job every year. Um, but those are the, usually the ones that don't actually win it. It's the coach that makes the biggest jump, I think, or the biggest surprise, which I think Mike Mike Brown definitely deserves it, but it is kind of an interesting award to to figure out. Oh, for sure. And I think a, a part of that is like, if you have a team that's good every year, often it's because, well, at least in part, because they have a really good player slash really good team. And a lot of these, like you take, you know, the Mike Brown one with the Kings. Like, that's not a roster that people were looking at as like, oh, yeah, they'll be the three seed or, you know, give or take, just based on what their team was made up of. Uh, and so it becomes more of a surprise that, like, look what the coach did with this roster instead of like, oh, look, Coach Bud is still balling with Giannis, Drew Holiday, Brooke Lopez, Chris Middleton. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess to move on to another award that I think is uh, pretty cut and dry, uh, can we agree Paulo Bancaro is going to win Rookie of the Year? with his 20 points a game, which is the most among rookies, 6.9 rebounds, fourth among rookies, 3.7 assists, third among rookies. Yes, but it wasn't that simple for me. I think Walker Kessler and Jalen Williams both deserve some, uh, some consideration for this. Walker Kessler coming in, uh, having one of the best block shot ratios in the league, shot like 73% um, or something crazy like that, and was basically like, okay, 
we're going to, we'll trade Gobert and then we'll just start molding the new one, um, which was funny. And then Jalen Williams. um, So since December 12th, which is when Jalen Williams became a full-time starter for the Thunder, he averaged 15 and a half points, five rebounds, three and a half assists, 52% shooting, 38% on three pointers, which is a little bit below like his counting stats are a bit below Bancaro, but the shooting is the shooting percentages are a lot higher. So Williams shot 52% overall, Bancaro 41 and a half percent, Williams 38% on threes, Bancaro 31% on threes. I think and also Jan Williams is a much better defender and was also playing in games that actually meant something for the magic. It was basically like Boncaro just go out there and be the number one option. Like go do what you do. And Jalen Williams, it was like, no, actually we have a shot of making the play in. Like we need you to step up and contribute to winning basketball immediately. So I think there is some, something to be said for that. But all that being said, I think Boncaro's overall stat line and, durability and uh and everything and also not being as bad defensively as we feared i think he's still not great but he was not as bad as as we thought i think he does have to get it but i don't think it's as cut and dry and i wanted to mention williams and kessler um as well oh for sure they definitely deserve credit um i think once we look at like the stats they were able to compile i think ben carroll will walk away with it um but yeah, especially the Walker Kessler one. Like, I'd be psyched as a jazz fan. Like, uh, would you be just... jazzed? Yes, that's fine. Um, jazzed up. There you go. Um, who do you have for the the six man? So I ended up going with Emmanuel quickly of the Knicks, which it pains me to give the Knicks any sort of credit, but. I do have to give them some credit for this. Um, I think quickly is one of those guys who has improved every year since he's been in the league. Um, he's always been a, a spark plug off the bench, but this year really kind of took that to another level. Um, he, the, uh, the Knicks were plus 6.2 points um, per 100 possessions with him on the floor and minus two when he sat. So like an 8.2 swing there. Um, he also, like the other guy I was thinking about was Malcolm Brogdon. But, and Brogdon had a really, really good season for the Celtics as well. But quickly played over 600 more minutes than Brogdon did over the course of the season. And which, you know, it's not necessarily Brogdon's fault that he got injured, but still availability does have to be taken into consideration. So I ended up going with quickly. Um, I think that, like the Knicks, he's probably the most valuable player coming off the bench of any team because the Knicks really do need his scoring and his playmaking and his rebounding. He's definitely one of the better rebounding guards out there too. So yeah, I would say quickly for sixth man, but Brogdon, I was also considering. I'm a fan of quickly's game. Uh, I did, though, end up going with Brogdon uh, based on the efficiency. Uh, we've got the 15 points, the four boards, just under three, un, or just under four assists. 
in addition to the defense that he provides, but I'm also looking at not quite a 50-49 season, but like 48.5% from the field, just under 45% from three, and 87% from the free throw line. Um, I think he was the, by all accounts, the fourth best player on the Bucks this year. Um, or Sorry, on the Celtics this year. Um, I so I went with the efficiency, but I I see the argument for quickly. Um, I think this so it, it's fitting. This is our first one where we have disagreement. I because this is the first one we've talked about where I'm like curious to see what they'll do as opposed to like confident in what they'll do. So next, here's another one that I think there are a couple of really good candidates for most improved player. Who do you have for that one? So I think Laurie Markinen definitely has a case for most improved, but I have to go with Shea Gilgis Alexander. I mean, we talked on the last episode about how much further into our top 25 he belongs. The reality is he's gone from a 24 and a half point per game scorer to 31 and a half, which is crazy in and of itself uh, of a seven point jump. Uh, Not only that, his field goal percentage has improved from 45.3 to 51%, which at its most literal means he went from missing more than he made to making more than he missed. Uh, He was also the only guard to average at least one steal and one block per game. He carried the Thunder to the 10 seed, which is three games ahead of Markinen's Jazz. I mean, these are both teams that we expected to be towards the bottom of the NBA. The Thunder, at the time that we're recording this, have a chance of escaping the play-in and making it into a playoff series. Uh, So SGA is getting my vote for most improved i wish i had an actual vote but as far as the podcast is concerned he's getting my vote this is another one where i'm gonna have to agree with you as well um i did consider Lori markinen i think by far and away those are the two that stand out the most for most improved but <clears throat> i agree sga i think has to win it out or win this award over markinen now, I, I do want to talk about marketing a little bit because you touched on a lot of my points for SGA as well. Let's remember that Laurie Markkinen was supposed to be like a, maybe a backup, like maybe a low level starter. Like he was not supposed to be a player of any relative note um, after relatively unsuccessful stints with the Bulls and with the Cavs, like he was not even really a big name in the trade. Uh, And yet here he comes out of nowhere, just explodes and scores. You know, he is the definition of a three level scorer, silky smooth jumper. We've already, we've always known that he had that in his repertoire, but he's able to score from the mid range, very good free throw shooter for a bigger guy. And also like, he scored at the rim very efficiently as well all season. 
he had a lot of actual like highlight posters as well. Like, dude, where did this come from? Like, I guess this guy was getting so tired of not being utilized or uh, even just like given free reign to let loose by by the Bulls or by the Cavs because he was unleashing some punishment um, on some Rams and some opposing players this year. So a lot of respect definitely needs to be given to marketing. And he's looking like a foundational piece for the Jazz in the years to come. But like you said, Gilgis Alexander, I mean, jumping up by seven points a game is great, especially if you're like, you know, from year one to year two, for instance, he went from averaging 11 points a game to 19 points a game in his second season. So that's an eight point jump. But like, we see that a lot of the time is a guy like becomes finally becomes a full-time starter or makes a sophomore leap or whatever. How many times do we see a guy going from his fourth season to his fifth season making this kind of statistical leap? Not only that, but while in, improving his on his efficiency in pretty much every metric. Like, you don't really see these types of campaigns come along very often. I have to give him a lot of credit for um, for making that next step. And honestly, like, when the Paul George trade happened, it's like, huh, the Thunder must see something in him that nobody else really does. Because at that point, in his rookie season, like, he was fine, but he wasn't great. He was able to stay mostly healthy this season and completely blow any expectations out of the water. Um, defensively, offensively, playmaking, scoring, you name it. He was good, if not elite, at it. So I think he definitely deserves the award. Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah, all the things you said about Markinen, it's it this is one of those situations where like just because we agree on SGA, there's no shade on marketing. It's just more to the effect of how crazy SGA's improvement was. Um, we're down to two left. Uh, Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, I'm guessing that the voting committee is going to be like, oh, we gave you a, a guard last year in Marcus Smart. Now let's get back to the the usual, you know, routine of picking a rimmed protector. In comes Jaron Jackson Jr., three blocks per game, which is crazy in and of itself. He's in the 99th percentile of defensive estimated plus minus. Um, the Grizzlies are a top three defense in the league. Uh, that's with Steven Adams missing time. That's with John Morant, well, existing. Um Here's not the worst defender, I guess. Uh, he's not exactly an avid one either. Um, I think all the pieces are there for Jaron Jackson to win this award this time. Agreed. He also wins it for me. We're agreeing on so many. This is kind of annoying. Um, but yeah, I mean, he held opponents to 47% shooting at the rim, which is a very elite mark. I mean, his versatility is great. Like, you can put him at power forward and play him next to Steven Adams. And that creates a really good lineup at all. But if you're facing a team that is more of a, a perimeter shooting team, then, like, you can just stick him at the five and have him be the one guy who's 
you know, defending the, the rim, or he can go out and close out on perimeter shooters and do a good job on them too. Cause he has that versatility and that athleticism in order to stick with smaller players. So yeah, I mean, I think really the only drawback for him is the amount of games that he played, but there is some historical uh, comparisons that we can make. Uh, Rudy Gobert and Kawhi Leonard have both won defensive player of the year playing a similar amount of games to him. So there is precedent for it. uh, And I wouldn't be surprised to see him make it, especially because he was kind of a surprise all-star pick earlier this season. So I would not be surprised if he ends up being the defensive player of the year award. And he has come out and said, I deserve it. So this man is, you know, he's definitely thirsty for it. So we'll see if his thirst is quenched. <laughs> Were it so easy? Like, hey guys, I think I should be defense player. Oh, hadn't thought about it that way. Here you go. <laughs> that sounds good to me. Less work for me to do. Um, but yeah, I think he does deserve it though. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, that brings us to the big one the mvp um we kept y'all waiting yeah uh here's the thing i have who i think should win it and i have who i think will win it uh i think that i think that i'm gonna just cut the suspense Embiid has had a great season and if it weren't for Jokic, i would go ahead and say that Embiid should win MVP, and I think he will. The problem for me is that Nikola Jokic is just too damn good at basketball. I mean, yeah, he's the most efficient player, like, almost ever. Like, uh, it seems like multiple times a season we're seeing more stories of him coming out like, oh, he's the first since Wilt Chamberlain to do this. Oh, he's the first since Wilt Chamberlain to do that, you know. And Wilt Chamberlain, like, is the most like dominant and efficient player like ever basically um he's his efficiency keeps getting better but what's more is if we're looking at the mvp as like who has the biggest impact on their team whose team makes the biggest jump by his presence on the court it is objectively Jokic. uh when Jokic is on the court for the Nuggets, they outscore their opponents by 13.3 points per 100 possessions. That's top of the league. When Jokic is off the court, the the Nuggets get outscored by 13.8 points per 100 possessions. Per 100 possessions. That's the bottom of the league. They literally go from like the worst team in the NBA when Jokic is off the court to the best when he is on the court. Like, to me, that's, like, definitionally the most valuable player. I agree with you. Um, I would not be surprised at all to see if Embiid wins it, and I do think he is deserving. I think that, honestly, both of them are equally deserving. Like, it's really personal preference on what you want. You want an offensive supernova? Okay, here's here's Jokic. Give it to him again. You want a guy who leads the league in scoring, who is also a very, very good defender and all-defensive team candidate? 
um, and somebody who's been doing it for season after season, like, and he's finally staying healthy, like, yes, and B is your guy. So I think you could really go either way. Jokic's uh, plus minus, like what you were, what you were, the site you were just referencing, um, Embiid is also like shines in that metric, but not as much as Jokic does. Uh, Embiid, his team is plus nine when he's on the court per 100 possessions, and then minus two and a half when he's not. So not not nearly as much of a big swing, but obviously like it's still important. And the how good he is or how good his team does when he's on the court means more than how bad they are with him off the court because he's the one who's actually on the court, like contributing, right? So it is kind of hard because Jokic, his rim protection is not what you want from a center like at all. Uh, Remember how I said Jaron Jackson is allowing 47% at the rim. Jokic is allowing 69% at the rim, which is absolutely atrocious. Like as a guy who's like seven foot and as a center, that is almost inexcusable, right? Like, he's got to be doing better and sure like he's not as bad of a defender like overall as people think he's good at you know he's obviously a very very smart player one of the smartest players in the league so he's able to you know get deflections like play passing lanes get steals all of that but when it comes to rim protection he, that is not his strong suit obviously Embiid is a lot better at that um but then Jokic has the playmaking like Embiid, 4.2 assists to 3.4 turnovers. That's not really what you want. Um, Even, like, sure, he's a center, so, like, you don't necessarily expect great playmaking stats, except, wait, Jokic is, like, breaking, like, (laughs) it's like he's breaking the game um, in a way. Whereas, I mean, he's averaging 9.8 assists and 3.6 turnovers with an extremely high usage rate as well. So, you know, it's kind of it's kind of hard. Embiid scores more. Jokic, you know, Jokic has better playmaking. Embiid has better defense. Jokic, Jokic's team uh, suffers a lot more when he's not on the court. You know, you can go back and forth. I still give us Jokic because I think that he's just a basketball genius. Um, and I don't really care that it would be three in a row. If he's been the best player in the league in the regular season, three seasons in a row, then just give it to him. I don't care that Michael Jordan has never done it or LeBron's never done it or whatever. Like, who cares? It's a regular season award. You know, Sure, he's probably, you know, he may not win finals MVP because the Nuggets may not win the championship again this year. It doesn't matter because it's a regular season award. So if we're just looking at the regular season, he also, the Nuggets were the first seed in the West. Like, there's not much else that he could have done. So I think Jokic has my vote. But again, I do think that Embiid is pretty much equally as deserving. It just... Depends on what you prefer. 
yeah i mean i'm i'm here to like or i'm willing to hear you know oh well we should adjust the mvp to like have it handed out before the final like right before the finals or something and then include the first few rounds of the playoffs i'd be down to consider that but like that's not what it is right now um and yeah like the fact that like take lebron right lebron's never won uh three straight mvps i think he has four mvps um should he have more yeah and should he probably have a three-peat somewhere in there yeah probably that doesn't but like the fact that he didn't doesn't mean we take it away from Jokic too and also just for what it's worth about like when you uh with sorry for what it's worth about Embiid scoring when you I mean, consider the the stat like points responsible for when you factor in their assists as well. Jokic is responsible for more points than Embiid, like uh, when you combine their points and assists. So, like, I'll get over the fact that Embiid scores more because I know that Jokic creates more offense. Uh, I mean, I love the uh, word you use, the offensive supernova. Uh, I mean, that's what he is. Yeah. Um, so. Wow, we only disagreed on on the six man. That's kind of crazy. And just to, in case you were new or uh, have forgotten, Mike and I do not discuss our choices before getting on the podcast. So this is like not staged or anything. Like we also aren't going to just disagree just because it might make for an interesting debate. We're just going to say our honest opinions. And if they are the same or similar, then so be it. Absolutely. Now, I doubt that we'll have the same opinions in this next uh, segment that we're getting to, um, which, again, we haven't heard each other's. Uh, We're going to go through our top three teams that we think personally have the best chance to win the NBA Finals. And so we'll go... Like, I'll do my number three, or uh, Dave, you can do your number three first, and I'll do my number three, then your two, so on and so forth. So, Dave, who, which team do you think has the third best chance to win the finals this year? Well, this is still kind of topical because we were just talking about him. It's Joel Embiid's 76ers. Um, I think that the Sixers have been in that conversation for a while now. Obviously the Hawks beat them a couple years ago to reach the Eastern conference finals. Uh, Embiid has been on another level this year. He finally looks like, excuse me. He's finally looking like he's healthy uh, going into the playoffs, which is really important, obviously. And this time he's got, James Harden and Tyrese Maxey alongside him. I think the Sixers are one of those teams that they have all the pieces in place. Uh, it just has to kind of break right for them. It is kind of hard because the Eastern Conference, I think, is just stronger than the Western Conference this year. And so they're going to have to really kind of slug it out with a couple of these other teams. But, um, when it comes down to it, I, I think the Sixers have the star talent uh, in order to compete with anybody else 
in the league. They also have De'Anthony Melton, who's a really good defender, um, who can kind of take their best perimeter player. And I don't know. I, I just think that maybe this is finally Embiid's time to take over and impose his will. Um, obviously, like they're at number three. They're not number one for me, but I, I could definitely see this happening. I'm not mad at it. Um, the Sixers have been great uh, this season, especially Embiid. Uh, having Harden as well doesn't hurt anything. Um, my number three, we finally have some some differences here. My number three is the Celtics. Uh, they got to the finals last year. Um, Jason Tatum is still, well, growing and getting better and better. Jalen Brown, same freaking thing. Uh, defend, uh, you know, reigning defensive player of the year, Marcus Smart. Um, they have pieces down low, like in addition to Malcolm Brogdon off the bench, like I mentioned earlier, uh, I feel like the Celtics are constructed in such a way that allows for a major piece to go cold and have someone else pick up the slack uh, more than a lot of other teams. Um, I think they're they're hungry after that loss last year. Uh, they're the, the two seed in the East. Um, they have a first round against the Hawks, which they are heavily favored to win. Uh perhaps even sweep who knows um i think they have a decent road ahead of them to get there i wouldn't be surprised to see the celtics win this year for sure i think the celtics definitely have a good shot um but they are not my number two pick my number two pick is actually the number one seed in the east and that's the milwaukee bucks so i think that this potentially could have shifted if Chris Middleton could have just stayed healthy this year. Of course, he had to get injured again right before the playoffs. So I'm still not sure if we're still going to see him or how effective he's going to be. When he's on, he's definitely that type of guy who can take some pressure off of Giannis in terms of just pure scoring. Um, And can just go and get an ISO bucket here or there, wherever you need it. Um, and obviously like helping with the spacing and everything too. So not necessarily having him at hundred percent, I think dings them some regardless though, they have been great again this year. I think this is potentially one of the best. Um, like I think even compared to when the, they won their championship, this team stacks up right next to those guys. Um, and of course, a lot of the same, it's still a lot of the same guys. Uh, Brooke Lopez, I think, had a case, maybe not a strong one, but a case for defensive player of the year. Um, he has been absolutely incredible and had a career renaissance in Milwaukee. So credit has to be given to him. So you have a great rim protector, one of the best on-ball defenders at guard that the league has to offer in Drew Holiday. An energetic big man who can space the floor in Bobby Portis. And oh yeah, I forgot. 
Giannis Antetokounmpo, who's already shown that he can take over and win you, a, you know, the the final game to take your team to the championship, uh, which he did a couple years ago. So, um, yeah, I think the Bucks definitely have a major shot. Like I said, I think the Chris Middleton injury and him not really being able to play up to his potential this year is a major blow for them and probably knocks him down from the number one spot in my opinion. But yeah, I, I, I think the Bucks still definitely have, have a, a good shot of winning it. I agree. Um, I really like the Bucks. I think they have a shot at winning it, but they're not my number two. Um, so one thing that I was looking at when I was putting my top three together is just like, what teams do I trust? Um, or what teams maybe haven't given me reason not to trust them in the postseason. Um, and so I guess I'll spoil one real quick. Um, that's not in my top three, like the Clippers, just as an example, like I've seen them fail enough. Um, I've seen, I mean, not Kawhi. Well, I saw Kawhi dominate in Toronto, but I've seen them not work enough times in LA. Uh, I've seen Paul George not come through enough that I was just like, I don't trust them. I don't care how good they are on paper. They have to just prove it to me first before I start putting them up here. Here's a team I do trust, though. I don't care that they're the sixth seed. I trust the Warriors. I don't care how old they get, man. Steph Curry is still Steph Curry. Clay Thompson's still Clay Thompson. Uh, Draymond Green is still running that defense. I don't like him, but he, he knows how to run a defense. Um, Andrew Wiggins is going to be playing. Jordan Poole's been that guy the past two years. Um, not only can I not count them out, there aren't many teams that I'm looking at, especially in the West, where I'm like, oh yeah, they'll be the Warriors. Sure, no problem. Uh, in fact, like most of the teams I'm looking at in the West, I would pick the Warriors over. I mean, sure, they're 44 and 38 Steph only played 56 games this season like it's playoff time it's different story um how many of these teams are really gonna chase Steph off screens uh in a seven game series and do so effectively and have it lead to winning not all that many uh the Warriors to me are the team that I that I trust because they've been doing it and I don't see any factors that are causing me to go yeah this is the year that they just can't do it again sorry i had a burp there um <laughs> i was just like let me just pause for a second and just let this happen um <clears throat> okay so i definitely 100 percent understand your reasoning behind it I think it would be foolish to discount the Warriors after their dominance and their dynasty that they technically are still like that has not ended yet. The core is still there. They're still going and they're still in the playoffs. So anything can happen. I'm looking at what history tells me and history tells me that a five seater below is not going to win the finals because that's pretty much never happened, um, like ever. So until that actually does happen, and sure, this year, 
there are a couple of contenders like you know potentially the Clippers, the Warriors. I know some people are thinking the Lakers. Like this year could potentially be the year, but honestly, I just can't do it. I can't nominate anybody who's a, a five seater below because it just doesn't happen. And history tells me that it's not going to. So I'm just going to trust that. And hey, if the Warriors end up winning it, I'll hold my hands up and say like they were the exception to the rule as they've been so many times before. But that's my reasoning for it. I'll also say this, and this will answer my, uh, this will give you a clue as to who my number one choice is. I don't think anybody in the West is going to win the finals this year. I think the Eastern Conference is too good. I think whoever comes out of the Eastern Conference is going to win, regardless of who the opponent is. So you said you couldn't really, you don't, weren't really sure anybody in the Western Conference would be able to, like, you don't trust them to beat the Warriors. I could, I could potentially agree with that. I could potentially see it, but I trust three teams in the East to do it. Like I said, the Sixers already, the Bucks, and I got to put the Celtics as my number one for a couple of reasons, some of which that you already mentioned. They made the finals last year, so they have some of that experience. That's obviously very, very important. They have two superstars on their roster to where if Tatum's going cold, they can turn to Jalen Brown and vice versa. Their defense is versatile enough to where you can match up with any team and feel good about your chances. You don't have one big guy who like in the paint who can't move around and can't defend multiple positions. Pretty much everybody on that team is a at least an average defender, if not a good defender. Um, Jason Tatum included in that. I think his defense kind of goes under the radar a little bit, but he is very good. Uh, maybe not like Jalen Brown or all defensive team good, but he's above average on, on defense, I would say. And like I said, like the Celtics, they, I think from top to bottom, they have a, like a very, very deep and solid and well put together roster. And this year should be the year, I think, um, where they finally put everything together. And like I, I mentioned, their coach before, like I can't stress enough, like how well this team has done with that coaching change. Like I know he was already in the building and stuff, but they also have been able to block out that noise, which we've talked about the Celtics for a long time. They struggle that like a lot of their, their issues have come from chemistry issues or locker room issues. We haven't heard anything about that this season at all. Um, under Missoula. And I think as Tatum and Brown continue to mature and improve, that just bodes well for their chances to finally get over the hump and win one. So I'm going to go for the Celtics um, as my number one. Also one note about the Warriors that concerns me. They're a six seed, so they're probably going to be like seeding home court advantage to whoever they're playing in the playoffs this year. The, the warriors went 33 and eight at home. They went 11 and 30 away from home. I don't love those chances 
if you're already knowing that if it goes to seven games, you're going to have to try to steal one if you went 11 and 30 for the season. So it's one of those things where like, if they had a better regular season, they were, you know, a two or one seed, then maybe they just ride their home court advantage and, you know, the place where they've won their championships to another championship. But that I feel like that could end up biting them in the ass. So, but again, it's Steph Curry and the Warriors. So who am I to say, but there are some factors that I see going against him, but regardless, I think this year's champion will come out of the East. Well, I will bury the lead here and say, I think so too, because my number one is the Bucks. Uh, so you've already talked about the Bucks. Um, I appreciate that you brought up Brooke Lopez's defense. I actually meant to at least mention him when we were talking about defensive player of the year. Uh, I don't think he'll win it. You know, we talked about that earlier. Jaron Jackson should probably get it. But Brooke Lopez has had a fantastic season. So they have a great defender down low. Uh, They have a phenomenal defender on the perimeter in Drew Holiday. They have Giannis, who's a phenomenal defender everywhere. (laughs) Uh, I, I hear you about the concerns with Chris Middleton. I just am not concerned. Like, I'm not as concerned, I guess. Um, And I guess what I mean there is just like, there is, like, if I want to, I can find something about every team in the playoffs that's like, nope, that is the reason that I don't trust you to win. Um, And so for the Bucks, you know, it is the Chris Middleton thing. Um, But their point of concern is less concerning to me than everyone else's that I would come up with. Meanwhile, we've seen what Giannis does in the finals now. Um, We've seen his ability to carry that team over the hump. Um, The team as a whole is great offensively and defensively. Um, They, like to the opposite end of what you said about the Warriors a second ago, the Bucks will have home court in every series that they play in. Um, they are thirty-two and nine at home. Uh, coincidentally, so are the Celtics. Um, but they're a good team on the home or on the home. They're a good team at home, and they will have home court throughout the playoffs. Uh, this is a team that I believe in this season, and I trust based on what they've done in the past. Um, but I agree. I think that the championship is existing in the East this year. Which I remember not that long ago where it was it was the West uh, where all the super, like, I was going to say superpower, um, like super teams and powerhouse, uh, I just combined those, the superpower teams, Um where all of the best teams in the league were all in the Western Conference. And now it's very interesting. The the balance of power shifted over to the East. So we'll see if they can uh they can close it out. But I I definitely agree with a lot of the stuff that you said about the Bucks. I would not be surprised to see them win it. I wouldn't mind if they won it. I like Coach Bud, I like Giannis, uh, I like Drew Holiday, so I wouldn't be too upset if they won it. Uh, but 
that was each of our top three rankings for who we think has the best chance of winning the finals this year. For me, it was the 76ers, the Bucks, and then the Celtics. And for me, it was the Celtics, then the Warriors, and then the Bucks at number one. So we agree on the Celtics and, and Bucks, and then I had the Sixers and you had the Warriors. Now, so we're also going to each talk about one team that we think could be a sleeper slash dark horse for this postseason who could make some noise. Mike, who do you have as your dark horse in this postseason? Are you ready to laugh? Okay. It's the Atlanta Hawks. I was really hoping no. that you weren't going to go down this road. Um, I'm, I'm going down this road. Oh boy. Okay. This is such a dark horse that this road has no street lights. Yeah, it's a very uh, it's a very dark place to be. Uh-huh. No, we didn't share our answers with each other before, but before we recorded, Dave asked me, "How dark is your dark horse?" And I was like, "It's extremely dark." So, I did wait until we uh got through the play in against the Heat before I wrote this down because what I wasn't going to have happen is be like Oh, yeah, it's the Hawks. And then they get knocked out in the play-in. That would have been embarrassing. Uh, so, so why why did I put the Hawks here? Reason number one is literally so that I can be like, oh, yeah, like, I, it's like convincing myself to have, like, hope this, like, in the playoffs, you know? Like... We're we're facing Boston, and I don't I don't expect us to win, but like, I guess I'm just putting the Hawks as a dark horse so that I can be like, yeah, I can see it. You know, like if I squint really hard, like go Hawks. You know, I can get into the games and everything. Uh, beyond that, though, the Hawks don't really have a problem scoring the basketball. Uh, we can we can score with most anybody in the NBA. Uh, it's can we have that energy on defense um i do like what i saw against miami uh i know it's one game but we brought it to them uh we let in a couple runs that were concerning but by and large we really brought it to miami in that game and that's a tough culture to bring it to that that's not exactly a team that just comes lacking uh given what i said earlier about us hovering around 500 for basically the second half of the season uh would at least lead me to believe like hey maybe we uh we don't go down three nothing right like maybe we just like keep that same energy in the uh in the playoffs and then it becomes well if we can just kind of stay one above then we'll win you know uh we've been to the conference finals uh, a couple years ago with this team basically um and we were an injury to Trey away from potentially making it to the finals. And I've said this before on this podcast, but you know, that was the year the Bucks ended up winning the finals. I think if we had beaten the Bucks, we would have beaten the Suns too. So in my mind, like I've seen it happen in such a way that like I see potential there. It's it's very small, but I see the potential. Um Do I like the players on our team? Do I believe in them in a super consistent way? No, but 
Do I believe in the potential that they have on any given game? Yeah, um, I guess. So it is very much a dark horse. It's a dark horse that I want to believe in more than I actually do. But in any given game, can they win it? Yeah, I suppose they can. Which the Hawks have a great record in the play-in tournament. So if <laughs> if each round of the playoffs is just one game, then maybe I'd agree with you. But uh, it's it's a best of seven series. And I don't know if you were listening when we both agreed that the East has by far the best teams in it. And that is going to be a bloodbath to see who ends up coming out victorious. Um, and the Hawks are also in the Eastern Conference. So, I mean, I hear you. That Hey, I wouldn't be complaining if that happened. I would love it. I can't say that I agree with you at all, though. Um, but like, well, we need some disagreement in this episode. Exactly. Res- I mean, respect for the homerism. Um, I, I, I can't fault it. It's just, yeah, I just don't see it happening. I just don't want us to get, to get swept. If I'm being honest, like, <laughs> I'll be fine if that happens. Okay, my sleeper. So. Remember how I said I don't believe that uh, any, like, I believe that the champion is going to come from the Eastern Conference? Well, this team is from the Eastern Conference. Do you remember when I said that, you know, no team five-seater below has ever won the NBA Finals? I'm with you. Uh, Are Are you picking... No, good. I think I know who it is, but by process of elimination, the only team left that could possibly fit the, that criteria is the Cleveland Cavaliers. Yep. So take the four seed. I'm literally like, yep, the top four seeds in the East are my top four picks to win the playoffs or yeah, win the the finals. Here's what I'll say about the Cavaliers. I don't think that anyone is talking about them on a national level or on a, they could really make some noise this postseason level. I think they're getting disrespected to be honest with you. I think everybody's talking about Embiid because of the MVP race. So that therefore the Sixers, you know, Giannis, the same thing with the Bucks, the Celtics have been really good all year with Tatum and Brown. Then you have the Nuggets, you have the Lakers getting a lot of attention, the Warriors, the Clippers with Kawhi and PG, the Suns with KD, Chris Paul, and Devin Booker, like the Kings finally making the the playoffs for the first time in forever, the Grizzlies with John Morant and Dylan Brooks spouting his mouth everywhere. Like all of these teams are getting so much attention. And then here are the Cavaliers, just kind of doing their thing 51 and 31 on the season plus 5.4 point differential which by the way was the second best in the league behind the Celtics all I'm gonna say is I would not be surprised if the Cavaliers came out and maybe not win uh maybe not make the finals but make it to the Eastern Conference Finals and be very close to making it to the finals. Um, I think that they have the pieces in place to be a very, very dangerous team. Donovan Mitchell has the ability to take over any game. We've seen that from him before in the playoffs. I know that he hasn't had a ton of success in the playoffs, but 
that was with the Jazz. That was with a different coach, different set of teammates. His play with the Cavaliers and the Cavaliers play has convinced me that it's going to be different this time. Uh, they have a great duo in Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. Evan Mobley, low-key defensive player of the year consideration as well. He's unbelievable. Darius Garland has vastly increased his playmaking and scoring. Um, he's a great option for them as well. So you have multiple guys who can score. Really solid defensive team all around. And J.B. Bickerstaff, I think, has also done a hell of a job at integrating Mitchell. They also, like, they got Danny Green, who actually had a decent game a couple of, uh, like, I think either the last game of the season or the, or the game before. He's the type of guy that, like, he, he's been on a lot of winning teams and he could provide some of that, that playoff experience and also some shooting that the Cavaliers could need. Um, I don't know. I just, I feel like the Cavaliers could really make some noise, um, and, and potentially surprise some people. I think they're one of the team, like they're the best team that nobody's talking about. So I'm going to say them for my sleeper which is definitely, I think I understood the assignment a little differently than you, but um, but I think that's totally okay because it's just kind of a, a shot in the dark. But but yeah, I'm going to pick the Cavs. Mike picked the Hawks. Let us know what you think of our picks, both for the individual awards and for the our finals picks. Um, of course, on social media at Mike and Dave Pod, we would be very interested to hear your takes to see if... Uh, you think our takes were trash. If you think we actually know what we're talking about, uh, definitely hit us up there, but that is going to wrap up this very long segment. And when we get back, we're going to get into the hot seat and the fun fact as usual. So stick around for that. All right. We have got more than a hot seat for you. We've got a hot bench. We've done this one or two times before, where way too many things have happened in the last week or so that we just, we have to talk about. Uh, we couldn't be bothered to narrow it down. So we've got a hot bench. We'll just kind of go back and forth with some of these like rapid fire. But um, I guess the first one I want to talk about is, well, the Timberwolves, man, uh, sticking with the NBA. First of all, you have Rudy Gobert and Kyle Anderson fighting each other uh, during the timeout. And then uh, you had Jaden McDaniels fracturing his hand uh, by punching the wall on his way to the locker room. Um, which, by the way, is not even the first time that has been on our podcast. Uh, wasn't, it a, wasn't it a baseball player, Dave, that, uh, that did that last year? Uh, that broke his hand punching something. It was none other than Braves pitcher Huascar Inoa who punched yes. the, I think he punched the bench in the dugout or something and fractured his hand. Yeah. Honestly, I, I don't, I don't really understand it. Also, I feel like you, you just went right past the Gobert and Kyle Anderson thing. This is in the middle of a very important game of, for their season, basically a playoff game. 
And yet these guys can't even control themselves for that and just act like professionals and try to win the game. It's unbelievable. And then Jamie McDaniels, I don't know if he's pissed about that or something else, but then he's out for the game and then the rest of the playoffs, if they even make it that far. So yeah, I mean, I don't really understand what was going on with the Timberwolves, but like, that's embarrassing, honestly. Yeah, then you have Draymond Green talking about this Rudy Gobert-Kyle Anderson incident because, of course, Draymond Green has to be talking 24-7. He tweeted about this, insecurity is always loud, which is what Rudy Gobert tweeted at or tweeted in response to Draymond uh, having a disagreement with a teammate last year. Um, So you can already tell that's been uh, in his mind a little bit. Well, it Um, wasn't even that. It was literally Draymond punching Jordan Poole. Like, so it's literally the exact same thing. So it was just, I mean, as whatever you think about Draymond, that was the perfect response. Like he kept those oh, receipts. Yeah. And he utilized them. For, sh- for sure. It's just funny that like he's like, oh, I remember when, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then it's like, okay, well now I have to tweet about it. Also, I'm just gonna skip to another just because it's on topic. Uh Draymond Green had a uh, Laurie Markin in on his podcast, and Draymond was like, Yeah, you know, um, had to have you here. Not just anyone can be on the podcast. You know, you have you have to have a bit of a resume. You can't just be like Dylan Brooks or something. Um, Dylan Brooks lives rent free in Draymond's head. He well, he lives rent free in a lot of guys' head. It seems that whole Grizzlies team is just like annoying. Um, which I don't mean as negatively as it sounds. I just mean like it seems like it's their niche. Like they just love to be irritating um and they're very good at being annoying because like look at how triggered clay thompson is all the time whenever the grizzlies come up or whenever dylan brooks comes up he's like clay thompson's got to be like they're nobodies they're they've never won anything they're bums they can't play they're you'll never talk about them again after they retire i'm like dude chill like it's gonna be okay honestly it's it's 100 a big brother little brother situation of like the Grizzlies just like poking and prodding the Warriors to get a reaction, and then they do. And then the Warriors like usually get the better of them when they play each other. Um, so yeah, I mean, the Grizzlies are more than just a little annoying, to be honest. But um, I'm going to inject a little bit of humor to to break up the all the chaos and fighting that happen in the NBA. While all this is going on, the Heat are recognizing Udonis Haslam, who's playing his final regular season game for the Heat. Finally, after 20 seasons with them, he's retiring. So what do they do as a parting gift? They bring out a rocking chair for him as their uh, parting gift because, you know, he's so old. Uh, Absolutely hilarious he got like they literally had it at midcourt and everything and he like sat in it it was fantastic um so shout out to the heat i like it's definitely hot seat material because it's savage but also 
hilarious and like Haslam also thought it was funny. But just a little bit of humor in between all of the rest of this nonsense. I mean, it's a rocking chair from the Miami Heat. It is literally a hot seat for the hot seat. I mean, how much money would we have to give Udonis Haslam for that? <laughs> because I feel like if anybody deserves it, it's actually us, not him. Because it fits so perfectly yeah. with the segments that we have created on this podcast. So, I don't know. Obviously. We just need to, need to, I need to slide into those DMs or something. I don't know. Dear Udonis. <laughs> It's it's me, Dave, again. <laughs> of the Mike and Dave podcast? You know the one. Um, so you said you wanted to inject a little humor. I just want to get back to violence. Uh, quote of the day. Mason Plumley and Bones Highland also fighting teammates. Um, well, fighting each other as teammates. Um, temperatures have been... Or tempers have been... Uh, flaring up uh we are in the uh the intense part of the season i guess yeah i mean i maybe it's contagious or something i don't know like it's crazy and then kyle kuzma and spencer dinwiddie start going at it uh of course not on the court just on twitter because (laughs) you know that's where real men fight um oh yeah mm mm-hmm at me <laughs> at me bro uh yeah so spencer dinwiddie kind of started this whole thing when like this was a, a a while ago where he said like they don't really want to like the wizards aren't really that interested in winning or you know whatever and then he ended up saying some more stuff about kyle kuzma specifically saying he's just playing for a contract like he's not even good enough to be the third op the the third option on a good team or whatever. Um, so Kuzma comes back and like, sure. Kuzma is sitting at home because the wizards are trash. Um, so he has plenty of time now that it's the off season, but this dude literally fired off like seven tweets completely <laughs> like demoralized. I mean, I'm not going to say demoralizing completely like trashing Spencer Dinwiddie's, uh, ability as a basketball player and like some of the things that he was saying i'm not going to read them all out to you You can go and search kuzma on twitter and they'll they'll come up but it's just the most random beef like two guys that are like not all stars but like pretty good um and former teammates and like now they're just like going at each other online it's just it's interesting yeah, you can also see the colorful name that Kuzma called Dinwiddie. Uh, we'll let you find that on Twitter. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, we're going to escape the NBA for a second. Uh, whip out your barf bags for this one. Bruh, uh, this is so bad. We, like, we, we were going to just do an NBA-themed hot bench, and this came out like a little over a week ago or something, I think, but we couldn't not talk about Will Levis and his Mayo coffee. 
which is exactly what it sounds like. This this man's putting mayonnaise in his coffee. Uh, insert all of the the vomiting emojis. You know, like why? When did that? How did that become a thing? I don't want to know. Actually, because um, you don't even put mayo on your breakfast food so like this must have been a conscious choice of like i am going to take the mayo out of the fridge and i'm going to put it in my coffee i'm going to see how it tastes like i certainly understand that and not only that there's a video of him doing it right it's the amount of mayo that he puts in the coffee that absolutely baffled me like i was thinking like you know, like when you put like a little creamer, a little half and half or something in your coffee, you're only pouring for like, I don't know, two seconds at most or something. And then you like swirl it around, whatever. No, this man literally has like the squeezable mayo bottle. He's like, he's squeezing for a good like five seconds. And there's like a lot, there's a lot of mayo that comes out of that. Like it's, it's like when you go to Subway and you get a foot long, because first of all, who the hell goes to Subway and only gets a six inch? Um, but you get your foot long and you ask for mayo on it. And then they do their like score, like up and down the, the foot of the sandwich. And then it's like, if you were to say, can I get a little more mayo? And then so they do it again. Like that's how much mayo is in this dude's coffee. And then he swirls it like it's freaking creamer or half and half or oh, milk God. or something. Like, like it's, it's totally normal. And then he drinks it and it just does a little smirk. Like, yeah, this is good. I'm like, maybe it's going to come out that this was some sort of prank or like he was he lost a bet or something. But maybe he's just that kind of guy. And I'll be honest. You you were talking about uh, not being able to, to trust NBA teams earlier. I'm taking that man off my draft board. Like, <laughs> I he's got a screw loose, honestly. Like... I am not for that. Not to mention, like, coffee's actually not bad for you. But mayo, spoiler alert, is. And so he's, like, that man's drinking that much mayo every morning. Like, he is not going to be able to stay in shape long term. Uh, also, questionable decision making. Like, an unst- like, an unhealthy diet. I mean... It's starting to to ramp up here, and like I know we're joking, but also like low key, I don't I don't know about this guy. Uh, so yeah, Will Levis. Yes, this was a hot bench, but for me, you're at the top of the list, man. Like, sure, teammates are punching each other in a time like during a timeout, but to me, this this trumps all. Like, this is unacceptable behavior. Oh shit, I just had a, a theory for how this could have started. So like when I go to Waffle House, I always get the Texas bacon, egg, and cheese melt with hash browns, right? And they always put a little like uh, packet of mayo on the plate that I fr- frankly don't need. Uh, but they probably do that with a lot of other plates at Waffle House, right? Um, what if Will Levis one day had gone to Waffle House and ordered, you know, whatever, and it came with mayo. And he's with his little buddies or whatever. Um, and one of them was like, 
dude what are the odds you like which by the way if you don't play what are the odds you need to like adjust your life uh, dude what are the odds you uh you squeeze the mayo packet into your coffee and drink it and he was like one and two or you know whatever and and he lost so he had to do it and then he was just like it's not bad though it's not bad I'm, that's my um that's my official theory for how this started yeah to what you were saying about will levis having a screw loose you know they say like the great ones have that screw loose there's like something off about them like jordan or kobe so hey maybe this is just an indicator that um that will levis will just be the next elite athlete because he's got that screw loose that's not going to be the case but hey it's worth putting out into the into the universe speaking of putting things out into the universe and having a screw loose question mark it's time for dave's fun fact of the episode I mean, I feel like normally that would be a very on-brand way to introduce this segment. But I'm actually going to take a little bit of offense to that today because my fun fact is that I now have a wife. Which is pretty fun (laughs) and is also a fact. So for those of you who may or may not know, I got married. Like, at this point, I don't even know. It was like two and a half weeks ago or something. Um to my lovely now wife, Danielle. Uh, so, and Michael, Mike, as you might know him, was my best man. So yeah, it was a great time. Um, I am now a happily married man. Marriage is great. I would recommend. And um, I don't think that I have a screw loose by marrying her. So just want to make that clear. Um, but yeah, that is my fun fact. So... We've been talking about which teams might be getting a ring. All the while, at the end of the episode, we would be telling all of you that Dave, in fact, got a ring. So, hey. Um, yeah, I was the best man. Back to, you know, putting the attention on me, where it so rightfully belongs, apparently. Uh, no, it was it was a great time. It was a huge honor. Super happy for you. Um for anyone, I mean, I'm guessing most of y'all haven't seen Dave and Danielle together, but perfect couple, excellent pairing, you know, couldn't be happier. Um, it It is funny how that, that transition <laughs> flew right on into that. Yeah, one. I was like, as soon as you said the screw loose thing, I was like, please don't use that as a transition. And then you did. And I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to have to make sure that everybody knows this was a this was not a, like elopement after two weeks of knowing her or anything. This was a very thought out and logical as well as emotional decision. So just in case anyone was was concerned, I don't think you were, but just in case you were. Which I mean, I guess, I guess that means now is as good a time as any to remind everybody that I have not heard the fun fact uh, or I don't know what the fun fact is going to be before I introduce it. <laughs> That would have been really savage if I did. I would have been like, so is this your way of telling me that you don't approve? Because it's kind of too late now, man. Like, this guy, marriage. (laughs) 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 Wow. 
<laughs> the truth comes out oh, here, folks. Dave with his <laughs> anyway, I, I think we are. It's about time to wrap up the show. But before that, as y'all might have heard, the past couple of episodes have introduced a new segment for Mike called the Mike Drop. What do you have for us this time? I don't know why this is on my mind, but uh, when uh, when John Leonard sued PepsiCo for that Harrier jet from the commercials in the, I think this is late 80s, early 90s, uh, there's a, I think, Netflix documentary about it. Uh, watch it. It's it's a really good documentary, but I'm here to say that John Leonard deserved that Harrier jet. Uh, forget Pepsi. Pay up. Uh, you owe that man some bankroll. Uh, John Leonard was cheated, and I'm 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 his uh his advocate today. Just like anyone who drinks Pepsi is cheated because they should be drinking Coke instead. I'm just gonna put it out there: Coke over Pepsi all the way, 100. And on that note, I think it's about time to wrap up this show. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, we really appreciate you making it all the way to this point of the podcast. Like we plugged before, you can find us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Mike and Dave Pod. Uh, when you go on Twitter to go and read Kyle Kuzma's tweets, you can just go over there and and follow us and see what we've been doing as well. Um, that's also a good way to keep up with our new episodes as we are releasing them. Also, announcement. So usually, you know, we re- uh, release a new episode every other Friday. Our next episode, episode 53, is going to come out next Friday. Uh, so that's April 20th, uh, or sorry, April 21st. The reason for that is our next episode will be an NFL draft preview. And we want to make sure we get this episode out in time for you to listen to it before the NFL draft festivities begin. So next week, episode 53, back-to-back weeks of the Mike and Dave podcast, new episodes. And of course, you can make sure to catch that by subscribing to us wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate you doing that and leaving us a review while you're there. And I think that's going to be it from us for this episode. As always, this has been Mike. This has been Dave, and you've been listening to the Mike and Dave podcast.